This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host, Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Eclectic Tech is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM, for the love of ham radio, is about the passion for an incredible hobby. Visit ICOM in the community webpage at www.icomamerica.com forward slash community. I'm speaking with Clark Burgard, N1BCG, and Clark has been a ham for a long time. He's involved in many things, but one of his passions is amplitude modulation, or AM. Would that be fair to say, Clark? Yes, I think you uh, have got it right there. And many people uh, tend to dismiss AM as being a legacy mode, as being a uh, a remnant of the past, but it's still very much alive, isn't it? It is. Um, interestingly, it's making a comeback. If you look at the uh, popularity of some of the new rigs which are coming out from Flex, Anand, and also even ICOM has gotten on the bandwagon with generating or creating a new release of uh, rigs which have very good quality AM. Um, it In the past, it was sort of dismissed as well. You know, we've moved on from that. But to be fair, you know, people could say we've moved on from things like uh, Morse code, but we haven't. These are things which, which should always be used. And frankly, AM is just another option for right. AM radio operators to try out. So um, rather than rather than say, well, we don't need it, why not embrace it? It's just one of the many things people can experiment with. Well, Clark, for hams who may not be familiar, can you give a synopsis of the history of the evolution of AM, especially versus single sideband? Yeah, um, it, this, this goes back 100 years ago, in fact. Um, AM had just uh, gotten started probably in the late 19-teens um, when uh, the first AM transmission was made. That was uh, the, uh, the famous Fessenden broadcast, uh, which he played a violin on, well, I think it was Christmas Eve, to um, uh, on his uh, on his spark transmitter, can you imagine how that would have sounded by by putting a series of carbon microphones in series with the antenna? It was not hi-fi, uh, but it uh, it did get the point across to the uh, 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 radio operators who were offshore who heard this, expecting to normally be hearing spark transmissions and weather reports and such. Anyway, it evolved from that to become a um, uh, as as anything, you know, the next the next step beyond Morse code or CW, because there was Spark and CW at the time, so I have to say Morse code to be general to cover both. Um, and you had the first AM broadcast station went on the air, KDKA, actually uh, 100 years ago uh, in 1921. So that that was the um, that was really the beginning of of widespread AM use, or actually the voice mode. But it happened to be AM because it was the simplest, which also makes it very easy for amateurs to experiment with. At one point after World War II, and I'm not the best historian, Clark, single sideband technology began to become available to hams out of military surplus. And uh, how did that contend with AM at the time? Why was there, uh, well, there was some contention between the two. Yes, yes, there was. Um, sideband was just that. Uh, you're, you're correct about that stemming from World War II. And 
the reason why it caught on is because now the bandwidth of a single sideband signal takes up half that typically of, of an AM, which has two sidebands. And the uh, benefit there was that you have a higher signal-to-noise ratio because now you've got just as much uh, uh, just as much audio which you're transmitting, but it's focused on half the bandwidth so that the receivers only had to be receiving in half the bandwidth that they would for an AM signal for basically the same quality. And this became very popular because the whole goal for amateur radio was to see how far uh, you could make contacts and uh, how clearly you would come in. So for effective communication, single sideband was looked at as being, well, this is you know, a tremendous development, you know, great improvements in, in uh, distance, in readability. Um, and so there was a move away from AM, which was looked at as, well, it's being replaced. It's, it's uh, you know, it's now inferior. And there were a lot of ham radio operators who were saying, well, we still like AM because we're not looking to make DX contacts. We're looking to make, let's say, more local or regional contacts. We're not as concerned about signal-to-noise ratio, and we're not about to throw away our very expensive amateur radio gear, our AM amateur radio gear, although that did happen. There was there was a time where you would see uh, very expensive uh, uh, Viking Valiants and, and uh, such left at the street corner for the garbage man to pick up, which was really a low point for uh, for AM. And uh, the remaining AM operators were sort of uh, the holdouts, but they kept the torch alive. They uh, kept doing what they were doing and having their own conversations on AM. But now it seems as though, as, as does, the pendulum swung the other way. And now with uh, events like the AM rally and uh, the uh, AM CUSO party from the uh, AWA, you're see, starting to see a comeback of it. And as I mentioned earlier, the manufacturers are now making a more uh, conscientious uh, effort to make their AM sections of their transceivers more on par with everything else. It's no longer like, well, you know, we'll put an AM button on there because it's a marketing tool, but it's that people are asking for it and, uh, and the manufacturers are accommodating them. Not to sound like I'm engaging in deliberate controversy here, Clark, but how do you answer those who say that AM sounds better? AM has better fidelity compared to single sideband. Would you say that's true? Well, I mean, it's it's really a matter of what you're using for equipment. Uh, single sideband can sound great. There are a lot of sideband operators who are, who are um, exploring ESSB, extended sideband, and they can sound really good. But the reason for AM to sound better is because uh, you have, well, there's a couple of factors to it. Um, you have a carrier which is always on, which means you don't need any sort of a product detector. You can use a very simple receiver to get it. Basically, any communications receiver, uh, you know, even for uh, shortwave listening can be used to pick up an AM signal. So the process of demodulating the signal is much simpler. You don't have a problem with making sure you tune in the station precisely uh, so you don't have the uh, the frequency shift of, of the person's voice, meaning that if you go to a ham fest and you overhear someone speaking and you recognize them from AM, chances are it's, it's going to be easier to do that than, you know, if you've been listening to someone in a sideband queue so and you've had your clarifier adjusted wrong the whole time. So um, there's, there's a sort of a purity to that. And also it's uh, more 
common for AMers to be able to adjust their bandwidth as conditions are uh, as conditions exist. So, for example, if you have uh, earlier in the day or early afternoon where there's really sparse usage of the bands, uh, stations that are able to adjust their bandwidth can sound crystal clear and really have phenomenal, like they're right there in the room with you quality. And then later on, as, as the bands get more and more crowded, then yeah, then things tighten up and uh, and it becomes more communications great. But but you have, I think you have more flexibility with AM to be able to do that than you might with sideband. And and also, Steve, the, the real goal of AM and sideband tend to be very different. Sideband is a phenomenal DXing mode or a uh, voice mode for, for DXing, whereas AM, probably not so much. I don't think I'm going to be making a lot of AM contacts uh, around Europe and Asia on AM, uh, especially when you compare the power uh, equivalent power up for a sideband transmitter, but it's great for local and regional communications where you have friends that you talk to and they're also, of course, on AM and, and it, I guess it's more of a, it's more of a good casual QSO mode than a DXing mode. I've been engaged in uh, parks on the air for about the last month or two since I've been retired, and I've been tempted, I haven't done it yet, but I've been tempted to run AM for a parks on the air activation. I don't know if anybody's done that yet. I guess you could. Uh, I mean, of course, if you have a radio station which is uh, participating in the event and you want to contact them, you kind of have to match your mode to what they're doing. But if you're one of the stations, uh, why not? Um, I mean, it, I guess it would sort of... Um, the only the only issue so you're saying if you were if you were one of the parks on the air stations and uh, and people were trying to contact you and you were operating AM yes well you know the funny thing about that is if if I were tuning around uh, with a with my transceiver set to uh, sideband and you were on AM and I had you tuned in you would probably sound like you were on sideband because my receiver is picking up uh, your well I guess depending upon the band. You, one of your two sidebands, because the, two, the upper and the lower sideband of AM carry the same information. Uh, the only hint that I would get, and this is something which is has to be something that, that you would have to keep in mind if you were tuning around on, on a sideband receiver, when you come across an AM signal, it may sound fine once you get it tuned in, but you'll notice that there's a, a tone as you tune across it, and that's the carrier, and that's sort of the dead giveaway that, hey, I'm... I'm actually listening to a station with a different mode. And then when you key up, or when I key up, let's say I'm contacting you, I'm on sideband and you're listening on AM, well, I'll sound like the, the teacher on the peanuts, you know. <laughs> well, you won't, you, because you'll, you won't have the, uh, you won't have the uh, uh, oscillator to, uh, to uh, you know, mix with my signal to, to help decode the, uh, the, the, you know, the audio. So you would end up saying, uh, Hey, I'm on AM. Uh, join me on AM, and, and I'll hear you much better, OM. But, uh, yeah, you could. I mean, if you want to help promote the AM mode, you can certainly do that, and it would be a, a definitely a conversation starter when stations came across your signal. Oh, I may give it a try, seriously. What is the state, generally speaking, of AM, amateur AM technology right now? Are, are most of the active people using older vintage equipment, or is it a mix, or what? Well, that's an interesting question. We just finished up the uh, AM Rally, which is something which um, uh, Brian KB3WFB and Steve W1QIX and I organize. And it, the interesting thing about that event is that when we get the logs in, 
one of the things that we try to document very carefully is what rigs are being used. And in the past, the most popular rig for an AM operating event was the ICOM 7300, which surprised me. It's like, wow, I guess these things are flying off the shelf. That's amazing. Um, but there's, I would say, number two, you're looking at things like uh, Rangers. These are, are 70-year-old transceivers, uh, which is or, which is or 60-year-old transceivers, or uh, Valiant, or uh, the DX100s. Uh, and it's amazing. I know a couple of very young ham radio operators in their early 30s that are uh, immersed in restoring these old uh, transceivers. I know one guy who's got two Rangers he's restoring. He's 31 years old, and uh, and he regularly operates on a DX100. Incredible. Um, so there's, I guess, one of the nice things in particular about the older gear is you can work on them. Uh, and because you're talking about AM, it's very uh, easy to work on them because you're not talking about product detectors or, or very precise filtering for creating a sideband signal. Uh, so from that standpoint, it's a very kind project to take on if you wanted to uh, work on AM. But um, the, the, the overall thing is you're really seeing a mix, I think, when I, when I talk to folks who get on, and I love that, when I'm in CUSO and someone chimes in and, and I've never talked to them before and they say, hey, I'm a new general, I'm trying out this rig here, uh, and it's, uh, it's really fun to hear people do that. And it happens more than I would have expected, but it, that's why I say I think it sounds like AM is making a uh, comeback. In terms of audio quality, and you bring up a good point, when you mentioned the ICOM IC7300, of course, being a software-defined transceiver versus, again, as you brought up, say, the Ranger, uh, a vintage radio. If I was listening to two signals, one generated by an IC7300 and one generated by the Ranger, would I be able to detect a difference between the two? You probably would, but I think the... Uh the larger difference between those two uh, units is going to be in the microphone. Um, I I think that the choice of microphone is very important, probably more so than a lot of people consider. Uh, that's that's the transducer that's going to take your voice and make it into electrical signals. And if you have a microphone which is uh, damaged, let's say you have a, a D104. Here's a very popular microphone that you, you it runs the entire gamut whether the crystal element is in good shape or not, and there are a lot of not good-sounding D104s. I have one, and you can, you can definitely hear the limitations in it in the, uh, uh, in the audio, but I have heard people who have got D104s, for example, on uh, stock rangers and things like that, and it sounds very competitive with the uh, brand-new SDR transceivers. So I've been I've been very impressed. It, it's it makes me think that wow the it, the the AM signals of the 1950s must have sounded really good because this is this is truly remarkable. And those people would be saying, yeah, I, I'm running stock equipment. I didn't go in there and modify anything. It's just uh, it just happens to be a good D104. So yeah, the microphone is everything, and that's something to consider. But I think that in general, it's also important to set rigs correctly. I guess you may be about to ask me about this, but one thing that folks should keep in mind about, especially with the newer rigs with an ALC, is that setting that and setting the output power is everything. 
if you have a, and I've heard this a lot, people are trying out AM for the first time on pretty much any modern rig, and by modern, I mean going all the way back to the 70s, uh, which have an ALC, it's there for a good reason, but making sure that you're using the rig in accordance with what the manufacturer recommends is, is very important. For example, if, uh, if you have a 100-watt class transceiver, meaning that it's good for 100 watts PEP, on sideband, you're... When you set it over to AM, your carrier really cannot be set any more than 25% of that, or so for 20 to 25 watts, 25 watts maximum. That's with no headroom. And the reason for that is that it, the uh, rig is going to need to generate the sideband energy in addition to the carrier, and it's not going to be able to modulate uh, positively 100% if the carrier power is more than one-fourth the uh, PEP uh, capabilities of that transmitter. And so there have been a lot of people who are on and, and their audio sounded just horrible. And I'd say, what's your carrier set at? And they tell me, uh, you know, it's a 100-watt rig and they've got it set for 100 watts. Like, yep, there's your issue. It's all downward modulation. And that, that, that rig is screaming for its dinner, Steve. So um, <laughs> you get them to back it down and, you know, and they sound 10 times better in it. And and it's fine. If you're running 20 watts, uh, it actually makes it so much more intelligible than if you were trying to run 100 watts and the rig just cannot modulate. Um, of course, that's not an issue with folks who are running amplifiers because those usually only take a few watts to um, uh, to run their full output. So that forces you to run low power. And those those stations sound great. You know, the, usually the folks who are running the uh, these rigs with an amplifier because they have to turn their carrier level down, they, they rarely have any issues. You know, you bring up yet another <laughs> very good point. And by the way, excellent advice, especially for me concerning the ALC. And that is those people out there who are listening who have never touched that AM button on their transceiver, where do they find activity? Actually, on, on all the bands, um, which is great because with the uh, growth and in, in interest in AM, there are definitely watering holes. I mean, you can run... AM anywhere you can run the phone mode, um, but you have to be mindful, of course, uh, that you've got two side bands, not one. So if you start operating near the band edge, you know, you're, you're, you, you, it's not like side band where you can uh, run right up near, not at, but near the band edge, and you know that all your side band energy is facing within the band. On, on AM, you've got both sides. Um, but if you were to look for AM activity, I'd say that uh, during the daytime, uh, into the into the early afternoon, 40 meters is great towards the top of the band, 7280 and up. Uh, it's not a large area, but that's where a lot of AM activity is concentrated. Uh, there are a lot of folks who get on 75 meters uh, even in the mornings, and uh, I actually throughout the day, mornings, afternoons, uh, evenings in particular are quite good. In the uh, 30 3870 to 3890 range, uh, and then on 160 meters between, well, around 1880 and then uh, 1945, but mostly around 1880. Now you're probably saying, yeah, Clark, you mentioned all these frequencies with really long antennas and stuff. I don't have that. Well, you can look on 20 meters. It's not as common there, but around 14286, you might find uh, AM activity there. But again, 
it's not a, really a DXing mode. So it's not going to be on the bands where uh, you're going to be looking for contacts in other countries or real DX contacts. It's going to be on the bands where you're getting together with your friends. And the conversations tend to be very casual. You know, it's not, uh, hey, you're a, you're a, you're a five, nine, uh, seven, three, good contact, you know, and that's it. The AM contacts tend to be, uh, more, more casual, conversational. You feel like you're talking with friends. Um, so you don't have the same interactions with other stations as you might if you were on sideband or DX. Now, it's not to say there aren't a lot of DX QSOs. That happens quite a bit, of course, because it's a very popular mode, but AM really lends itself to casual conversation. Absolutely. Well, before I let you go, Clark, uh, and this is off on a bit of a tangent, but I think it's worth bringing up, the suffix of your call sign has an interesting history, doesn't it? Yes. I um, I originally had an FCC assigned call sign, which was sort of, you know, unexciting. And then um, I was interested in the uh, history of a very famous station here in Greenwich, 1BCG. Um, in fact, uh, through my whole life, I've, I've been aware of it. But after getting really into amateur radio more, I thought I should try to incorporate that um, 1BCG was the first amateur radio station ever to send a message uh, using what was considered at the time shortwave frequencies across the Atlantic. At the time, in 1921, uh, stations were communicating pretty much regionally because they were running low power, they were on fairly low frequencies, 200 meters being about, well, around 1,500 kilohertz, which is now in the middle of our AM broadcast band. But they weren't uh, able to communicate long distances because uh, of the limited power and the low frequencies. But the um, uh, the ARL actually set up a uh, an event called the Transatlantic Tests, where they sent Paul Godley, who was a very well known operator and the latest greatest equipment over to Europe, and had a bunch of CW and Spark stations compete to be heard over there. And it was one BCG that was heard the strongest. Uh, and it was not Spark, it was it was CW. And just, uh, again, on a tangent, it's kind of a fun differentiation, uh, CW meaning continuous wave, uh, not necessarily Morse code, although they go hand-in-hand hand and they're used interchangeably, but it meant that the signal was generated by a uh, an oscillator, uh, a, va- a vacuum tube set up in an oscillator configuration so that the actual wave created was continuous as opposed to a Spark station, which has a damped wave. Yes, that's probably beyond this, uh, beyond this podcast. But that's a that's a fascinating topic right there. But yeah, so I I applied for and got uh, N one BCG to um, to celebrate the uh, that transmission, which happened actually three miles from our where I live in this town. So that's uh, that's why I had to get that that call sign. Well, there's a granite monument there. I. I drove by it. Oh, it's been ten years ago, but uh, I, I have a photograph of it, and that is, I guess, at or near the site where that took place. Yes, it is, and the 100th anniversary of that event is coming up this year in December, and I'm hoping that we'll we'll be all be able to get together and make a huge thing of it because it really is uh, marking the 100th anniversary of what I believe to be both DXing and the D expeditions because it was involving sending someone over to Europe to be uh, a receiving station. So 
or sort of like a backwards de-expedition, but it was, um, it's a, it's a big deal. And, I, and anybody who in, who can appreciate de-xing, you know, making those far off contacts and distant lands really can look back to the transatlantic tests event uh, put on by the ARL as, as really the birth of that. As we get further into the year, I think that might be a topic for another podcast. Would you be willing? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of hinting at it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Clark. It's been interesting. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for the invitation. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments, email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW. See you next time.